Go ahead and turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. Uh, it's where we will be this morning. Just to give you a, just a little look into the, into the future, um, we'll, we'll be in 1 Peter this morning and next Sunday as we wrap up uh, that, that letter. And then we're going to start a, a series on rest and worship, uh, resting, and we'll start talking about resting in the middle of the overwhelm. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more about what that means. And then from there, we'll move to a few Sundays when we talk about worshiping in the middle of the overwhelm. And uh, so I'm looking forward to, to those series that will carry us through August uh, and beyond. But this, this sermon and in Peter's uh, addressing, he's addressing elders, he's addressing the, the, the ruling and teaching elders among us most particularly. So uh, unapologetically, this is a sermon that is really aimed uh, at a handful of men among us, but also it is, it is for the rest of the church in that uh, we are called to live uh, after the example and follow uh, those that God has placed above us in oversight and shepherding. And we're going we're gonna to unpack that. So don't, don't think you're, you're off the hook this morning. You still have to to listen and apply and, and prayerfully consider what God says in his word. But First Peter chapter 5, uh, starting in verse 1, 1 through 5 this morning. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness to the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive unfading, the, the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Let's pray together. O make your word a swift word, passing from the ear to the heart, from the heart to the lip and conversation, that as the rain returns not empty, so neither may your word, but accomplish that for which it is given. Amen. Well, Peter, Peter here is uh, landing, he's landing the plane, really. And so if you kind of, let's kind of do the 50,000 foot view of First Peter and where we've been. Uh, that Peter starts off kind of uh, with talking about Christ as our living, our living hope. He goes into this beautiful picture of our inheritance, which is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. And, and as we are called by his word to, to live out the identity of his people that that really constitutes and makes up, uh, as exiles in the word, world, uh, even as we are being built together as, as a home for one another in this place that is not our home, with Christ as the cornerstone. And then the planes start to, to circle a little bit lower towards the runway, maybe lining up, lining up for, the, for the approach. Peter goes on that we are elect exiles, but we have a mission in this exile time to be not simply elect exiles, but engaged. We're engaged exiles. 
uh, in a foreign land that we are uniquely called and uniquely identified as God's people, that, that we live out that calling then in the context of all of these relationships that he's placed us in. In our relationship with the government, in our relationship with slaves and masters, in our relationship in the home and marriages, and we live out that calling in those places and all those circles that we move in, and knowing that, that even so, even as we do that, suffering is a persistent part of our experience. Suffering and persecution await, but our entire worldview has been changed. To see suffering through this unique Christian lens of Christ's suffering for us. And so Peter calls on the engaged exiles to to invest then in this community of faith that they've been placed in so that when suffering and persecution does come, and it will come, we will be better able to glorify God. And so now the landing gear kind of comes down and we have the clearance from the tower, but uh, this really isn't the, the Jesus is my co-pilot uh, sort of bumper sticker thing that we're doing here. Really, we find out that, that Peter is addressing the flight attendants <laughs> as a fellow flight attendant. Uh, and Jesus is the pilot of the plane, and one flight attendant to another, one elder to another, Peter says, how are we supposed to lead a church in a post, post-Christian world? And I heard a, a podcast recently uh, with someone kind of talking about this very same thing, but he, he said this, that, that maybe the Lord is allowing us to lead now in these difficult times because he knows that more difficult times are approaching. And I don't know if that's encouraging or not, but it certainly seems about right, right? And, but in the last year and a half to two years, as I've had conversations with folks and just kind of talked with people and just been with you and in my own life as well, I'm, I'm not immune from this by any means, there's really been two words that have popped up over and over and over again. And if not these exact words, then the sentiments or the feelings or the, the expression of the circumstances have kind of come up. And those two words are overwhelmed and anxious. And almost everyone is anxious or feeling overwhelmed about some area in life. Think about your own life. What areas of those of your life, like, are you feeling overwhelmed and anxious about? And, and then here's the other question for us this morning. What does it look like to offer, as leaders, a non-anxious presence in a time that's marked by this hyper-anxiety? There's anxiety around politics, there's social anxiety. There's cultural anxiety. There's just personal anxiety in almost all facets of our lives and our relationships. And there's anxiety about the future direction of churches and denominations and these sort of massive big picture things that this is what Peter's doing through his letter, I think. And especially this part, he's saying hey, I'm here with you. I'm going through this with you. 
that he's being as best as he can be for the elders in the churches that he's writing to, Peter, through this letter, is being and offering this non-anxious presence of leadership to them and for them. He says, so I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and as a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as a witness to those things which comprise the lens through which you are to view your own suffering, as a witness to the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is to be revealed. Peter's leading the leaders of this church through this passage. Christ has given his church elder exiles to lead in times of peace and in times of suffering. So let's, let's look at this in, in four different ways. First of all, let's look at that the, leader, the leadership of an elder is local and personal. The character of an elder is Christ-like. The reward of an elder is glory. And the example of an elder results in humility. So let's first look at the leadership of an elder is local and personal. Peter says, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Who was Peter? He calls himself a fellow elder here, but I mean, we know who he was. We remember Peter from the gospels, right? He was obviously one of the 12, but he wasn't just, he wasn't just one of the 12. He was, he was sort of the unofficial spokesman of the 12 for, for better or for worse, often for worse. Um, but he's also one of the inner three, the Peter, James, and John that accompanied Jesus in these really extra special times. And he was a witness not only to the resurrection and the sufferings of Christ, but he was also a witness to things like the transfiguration where Moses and Elijah show up and, and he is there in that, that circle when that happened. And loud, he's fiery, he's argumentative, he's opinionated. But when it all came down to it, what happened? I mean, he, he folded, he crumpled. And so he's has this, he's, he's this one he, that Jesus said, you're the rock and on this rock I'll build my church, but he hardly seems like it. He doesn't act like a rock. But he's also one who has received grace upon grace upon grace. And we remember that beautiful time when Jesus, after his resurrection, reinstated Peter, reinforced Peter's calling, reinvigorated Peter for the ministry. And he said, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. And Jesus is essentially saying, Peter, you are no longer a fisherman. Now you're a shepherd. (laughs) And go be pastor to my precious people. That's what Jesus did in putting Peter back into action. When I, think of, when I think of good leadership, just from a sort of a worldly point of view and something from an example from the culture, I think of Captain Winters from the Band of Brothers uh, television series. And I just love the way they portrayed him. And I've seen like interviews with the actual veteran. And I've, I read his book. Uh, and so I feel like I got a good sense of who the actual man was. But it seemed like he was very close to how they portrayed him in the in the tv show but he was he was brave he was humble obviously he he was a leader who knew his men 
and cared for his men. And there was a scene in which uh, he was talking to another officer, and, and the officer had been gambling with the men, and he just says, you know, what if you had won to the other officer? He said, what if you had won? Never put yourself in a position to take from these men. And in that whole series, I, I can only think of one time when Captain Winters appealed to his positional authority, his rank, to get anybody to do something. Where he really just said, hey, you know, I'm the captain, you've got to do this because I'm the captain. He never had to do that. He never had to appeal to that positional authority because he had all of this relational authority. He had all of this pastoral authority over this company of soldiers that he fought alongside. Even though he, he had the rank, he had earned it. And the reason he had all of that was because he was usually the first one over the top of the hill. He was usually the first one taking and leading the attack. And he was an officer who went first into danger all the time. And he did that because of his love and care for his men. He led from the front. And Jesus offers his church, Jesus gets officers to his church of elect exiles to lead her in all of these different circumstances. He says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, that, that she needs elders to shepherd her through all of these different times that they're going to experience in exile. And, and the church needs shepherds who know their sheep, who place their sheep's well-being above themselves, who shepherds the flock of God among them. And he is committed to them. That's not an abstract thought. There are names and addresses and phone numbers and email addresses and, and things that go along with that. To know them particularly, to know their stories, to know your triumphs, to know your struggles. She needs faithful followers of Jesus to be the shepherd of exiles of this flock of Christ's sheep who run not from the gunfire but towards it, who are committed to the local flock of God that they live among. Leaders, it's very tempting right now to get distracted by all these big picture things and, and winning the culture wars and, or, or slaying the next dragon of some secular movement that threatens all of Christendom. It's like the way local elders make a difference in those big picture issues and those cultural issues is by shepherding the flock of God among you. Pour yourselves into the hearts of of the men and women and children that are seated next to you in the pews, that are on our roles as members in ways that are unique to their families, their lives, their needs. By the way, those of you who have not been called to be elders, men and women and kids as well, you can shepherd one another. You can do this. You can shepherd one another as you live in this community together. Shepherd the flock of God in your home. Shepherd the flock of God in the classrooms and in your, your workplaces and, and lead by living 
with and for and serving with and for one another. So the leadership of an elder is local and personal. The character of an elder is Christ-like. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. And so now we start to unpack a little bit more of what it means to shepherd the flock of God among you. What is it, what is it actually he talking about? It means exercising oversight. But what does that oversight look like? It looks like the steadying, peace-producing leadership of Jesus. And as we go through the text, as we go down the, the look at our passage, there's really three couplets that Peter puts together in, in the passage that, that point to uh, the, the way elders are to exercise this oversight. They're, they're these contrasting couplets. The first one, look in verse 3, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. Uh, another World War II movie illustration, sorry. This one took place, I can't remember the name of the movie, but this took place on the Eastern Front. And it was the, the, the Soviet army leading an attack into some city. And they only had enough guns to give one gun for every two men. And so the instructions were, like, run this way, kill all the Germans. And when the man in front of you dies, take his gun. And you start killing Germans until you die. And oh, by the way, if you turn around and come back this way, you will most definitely die. So if you want any chance of survival, run that way and shoot Germans. And that's not very encouraging um, as, a, as a soldier, I would imagine. Uh, it's also, they weren't doing that willingly. I mean, I guess you could say that they were doing it willingly because the thing behind them was a worse choice than the thing in front of them. So there was some kind of will to go that way instead of that way. But there was compulsion there for sure. They weren't fighting for freedom or for their brothers. They were just more afraid of what awaited them if they ran than what awaited them if they went forward. Thankfully, that's not the duress under which Jesus leads his church. Elders are called to shepherd willingly as God has willingly called them to do, that there's there's, that we are joining our will not with, not with just our own determination and drive to, to this calling, but as elders, we actually are joining our will and determination and drive to lead to the will of God and his calling upon us to do that. It's, it's okay to want to lead God's people. It's a good thing. To, to look and see that you have gifts that you can offer the people of God that will encourage them and strengthen them and build them up and that you might be used by God to strengthen this community of elect exiles on earth. That's a, that's a good thing. In fact, Paul says it in 1 Timothy chapter 3, if anyone aspires to the office of an overseer, he desires a noble task. The next couplet is not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Kind of on the extreme end of this idea of shameful gain and using leadership and positions of power to, to, to levy that into shameful gain for yourself, abuse in the church 
is a hot topic right now. Unfortunately, that's because there's been a lot of it. There's been sexual abuse of children. There's been harassment of women by men in positions of power. There are concrete examples we can think of, unfortunately, for those things. Spiritual, emotional, psychological abuse. If you haven't listened to the Rise and Fall of Mars Hill podcast and the the dynamics, the leadership dynamics and the abusive leadership that took place at that church, but it's all an abuse of power and authority, and, and the church has been very slow to confront abusers and very quick to silence and shame victims. And the use of power for shameful gain, Dr. Diane Langberg says, kind of defines it this way, it's the gratification of desires at the expense of another made possible by the position of authority that the abuser has over the victim. And granted, those are the most extreme examples, but shameful gain can mean a lot of things. It can mean uh, being elevated to a position of prominence in a community or a place or a, or a church, this status, seeking status for the sake of, of status, a desire for a platform, a desire for a spotlight, a desire to have a lot of people want to know what you think about just about anything. There's also just simply money, although it's never simply money, Uh, a desire for uh, to be enriched through speaking engagements and book deals and, and those sorts of things. There's lots of avenues towards this. But the thing that kind of confused me at first, the contrast to shameful gain here, Peter just says, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Why does it just say eagerly? Eager for what? Well, think about Jesus. What was Jesus eager for? That if our character is to be shaped and molded and founded upon the Christ, upon Jesus and his character, what was Christ eager to do? What was his thesis? What was Jesus' mission statement in Mark? For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many Eager for the good of others, not for selfish good. Eager to be spent for others rather than to spend others to get what you want. Eager to follow Jesus as he, as he comes not to be served, but to serve and to give his life. And I think the next one is closely re- related to this. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. But if we're eager for those things, if we're eager to to serve and to give and to sacrifice for those that are under our care, then we won't domineer them. We can't. That elders live out the example of Jesus and call the flock to follow their example. In other words, elders are constantly pointing to someone and something outside of themselves. Drawing attention to the working of God in the world for the glory of God rather than their own glory. So the character of an elder is Christ-like. The reward of an elder is glory. Verse 4, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. I think there's actually two parts to this reward. 
Uh, first of all, there's the obvious. There's this, this crown of glory. We'll talk about what that means in a little bit. But the other is, is the presence of the sh- chief shepherd. And let's ask the question here first, though, as leaders, is it okay? We just talked about not leading for selfish gain, but is it okay to work at a calling with this eternal reward in mind? Yes. Yes, the the end reward is often placed in front of Christians in the New Testament to motivate us to strive for this, this personal holiness that God calls us to live for. Peter does it in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 11. He says, since all these things are thus to be dissolved, that means the world, there's going to be a new heavens, a new earth, the old will pass away, the new will come. Since all these things are thus to be destroyed, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? In other words, you live with that end in mind. And, and Peter's calling back to the beginning, to the inheritance that he referenced he talked about in chapter 1, this unfading crown of glory talk, is part of our unfading uh, inheritance that we have that we look forward to. This promised reward here is the comfort and the hope of believers and followers of Jesus, but especially to those who are the under-shepherds that he calls to lead his church through exile and difficulty. As leaders, we need that encouragement. We need to rely upon this wonderful promise of God that is ours in the, the form of this crown of glory that he talks about. So let's, let's talk about the crown itself. And so when I think of a crown, what do you think of? Like you think of this giant, ridiculous hat that the Queen of England wears that's that's red and sort of poofy, but also made of metal and looks very uncomfortable and a jewel encrusted and gold. And, and Peter was probably thinking something more along the lines of like Caesar's wreath thing that he wore or, or this crown that a victor would win for winning a race or an athletic competition. But either way, one of the things we got to get in our minds here is which one of these is the metaphor? The crown is the metaphor. The glory is the reality, right? The crown doesn't give wealth or fame or power, but when Jesus appears, when the chief shepherd appears, God's people, especially her leaders, will will share in this joy and the triumph of the new heavens and the new earth. And, And the glory that we receive in that moment as this reward will only merely be a reflection of the glory of Christ. So let's look at the appearing of the chief shepherd, this glorious one. He's our reward. That he will ultimately bring about this this Psalm 23 reality in the most real and full sense, that that he will wipe away our tears with his own hands and he will live with us as our God forever. And we will finally, finally be one, the one flock of God under one great shepherd of the sheep, sheep. That this command to shepherd the flock of God among you will be one. There will only be one flock of God and we will be among it and there will be one shepherd 
shepherding us for all eternity in joy and triumph and glory. That is the reward. So, so far we've got the leadership of an elder is local and personal. The character of an elder is Christ-like. The reward of an elder is glory. And then the example of an elder results in humility. So the flock of God, having had the care of a personal shepherd leader, pouring their own Christ-like character into them consistently in this long-term covenant relationship through difficulty and persecution as well as peace, what is the response of the sheep of the flock of God among you? Verse 5, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. The result of having Christ-like leaders is a Christ-like character. Submission and humility. Can there be any clearer marks of the character of Jesus Christ? Clothe yourselves, all of you. I mean, everybody, all of us. This is how we are to look. This is what the, the flock of God is to look like. All members of the flock, including elders. I try to think of a good way to sort of illustrate the results of, of this. And I thought, since it is the, the one-year anniversary of the Ghost River um, canoe trip, <laughs> the greatest church event ever devised and executed, uh, I wanted to thought about I thought about another canoe trip that I took when I was in the, the Scouts to uh, the Okefenokee Swamp, which is like southern Georgia, Georgia Florida line uh, kind of area. And Okefenokee means land of trembling earth. And the reason it's called the land of trembling earth is because much of the landmass in the swamp are floating islands made of peat. That have, that have risen to the top of the water. And these are, I mean, when I say floating islands made of peat, like these are not small, like they are large enough trees grow on them. And you can walk on them, although I wouldn't recommend it because um, lots of alligators like to hang out on them as well. Uh, but they look like solid ground, but they're really floating on the water. And they're, they're large enough and strong enough uh, for trees, not huge ones, but it, it really is this unique place, and it's one of the most unique places I've ever been. Uh, but that's kind of, that's kind of illustrates the need, because the only way that you know what you're dealing with in terms of this land is when, is when a larger boat comes up the channel, something that's big enough to kind of kick up a little bit of a wake. And we couldn't do it in our canoes, but a little bit of a wake and the, the waves would start to go actually underneath these floating islands and you would see these tall trees start to sway like this. And it is, it is unnerving as you realize there is nothing underneath these peat islands but water. Christ has given his people shepherds to lead his people on solid ground, to be the ones who, who, who know and test and, and have a sense 
of what is solid and what is not, and, and when the waves kind of come and do start to rock the land of trembling earth, and we do start to go back and forth, the shepherds are there to, to offer their gifts humbly and willingly to the flock of God, to the people of God, to lead them through this time. Humble, faithful leadership is calming and steadying. Humble leadership is reliant and dependent upon grace. Shepherds who are beset with the same weakness as everyone else are those that Christ calls. He does not call perfect men. Believe me, he calls weak men. Uh, And I say that as an elder. We're beset with that same weakness. We need accountability from one another and from God and from, from you. We need the same grace. These are shepherds and leaders who wait eagerly for the chief shepherd to appear. Shepherds who are called by God to work in this place with this people. These specific elect exiles in a foreign culture. But they don't do it for themselves. They do it for the glory of God. Elders, officers, leaders in your communities and homes and families and other places, brothers, elders, we need Jesus all the more. You need Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for calling and equipping the elders of this church. Thank you for calling and equipping me. I pray that you would make us faithful, that you would make us humble, that you would make us reliant and dependent. Help us to recognize our own need and weakness, our own hunger and thirst for grace. Lord, give us the strength and faith to be that presence that you have called us to be, the steadying, solid presence, even as we imperfectly, but try to faithfully incarnate your presence among your people. Lord, thank you for your Holy Spirit and the gift that he is to us as he empowers and equips and helps and encourages and calls. We pray, Lord, that you would be glorified in us as leaders and that you would be glorified in this church, be glorified in this flock of God among us, this particular body of your people. Lord, thank you for each and every one of them. Thank you for the privilege that it is to love them and shepherd them and walk alongside them. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.